Ripping Bonnets. Hello, and thank you for joining us on this installment of Bonnet Rippers. I am here with your other hosts. This is Kristen. I am Leanne. Jessica. And Jessica, whose name I forgot briefly until you said it. (laughs) Right? Thanks for reminding me. You're welcome. What are we reviewing today, ladies? Oh, I hear that sound of that glug, glug, glug. <laughs> nice. It is not wine. It is actually whiskey. It is actually Jack Daniels. That was a generous pour. That was quite yes. the pour. It was a long weekend at work. That was a couple of fingerfuls right there. Wow, it almost sounds fake. It sounds like the intro to gin and juice. It, I'm actually doing it right next to the microphone, so. That's amazing. That's great. Maybe that could be our intro sound. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, so this week we were reviewing A Merry Heart. Um, by Wanda, is it Wanda Brunstetter? Am I saying Wanda right? Brun- Brunstetter? I am assuming that's how you say her last name. Brunstetter, yes. the uh, the ventriloquist uh, aficionado. <gasps> yeah, tell us who did research into Wanda Brunstetter. So I didn't actually do research. Well, I, I guess you could say I did because I read the back, uh, the <laughs> yeah. back about the author and the book. But it says that Wanda and her husband Richard Ooh. have been blessed with two grown children, six grandchildren, and one great grandson. In her spare time, Wanda enjoys beachcombing, ventriloquism, gardening, photography, knitting, and having fun with her family. Oh, she sounds terrifying. So wholesome. I like how that phrasing implies that her children sprung into being as adults. Yes, yes. Yeah, like they just burst forth from her womb, fully grown. Her children might be ventriloquist dummies. (laughs) (laughs) They're definitely ventriloquist dummies. Did you ever see that uh, My Strange Addiction with a woman that was addicted to ventriloquism? Uh, nope, but I'm going to add that one with you. <laughs> you. Now I'm going to have to. Yeah, she had like 60 ventriloquist dummies that she would take with her everywhere. She would like brush their hair. It was freaky. Is that really an addiction? I mean, doesn't an addiction, by definition, to be an addiction, it has to cause an impairment? Well, it did cause an impairment in that she could not maintain normal social relationships. Yeah, because who wants to be around that many ventriloquist dummies? Yeah, and she, she would talk to them through her dummies. Like, she was incapable of having a normal relationship with any single human being. I'm sorry, guys. That's society's problem. That's not her problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't really want to live in a society where that's acceptable. So I think we have just differing views of what um, an ideal society might be. You know who our views really differ from? To come back to topic. Who? Wanda. Our dear friend Wanda. Wanda! So, um, Kristen, did you read Wanda Brunstetter's Wikipedia article? Or have none of us done any research? I did. You did? There is surprisingly little information about Dear Wanda on the internet. So, she has a website, wandabrunstetter.com, and her blog was actually recently updated. Alright, and a novel of hers that we haven't gotten to yet. Her main character is a reflexologist. Now, for anyone who has also listened to Sawbones, you will know that reflexology is fake. Yes, love Sawbones. Her most recent post was announcing Amish front porch stories. Come sit a while as you enjoy 18 fictional short stories of love, joy, and the peace found in Amish country. Amish country is known for an atmosphere of peace and quiet, perfect for French porch sitting with a good book. Join New York Times bestselling author Wanda E. Brunstetter, her daughter-in-law, and granddaughter as they share 18 heartwarming stories from Amish country. These fictional short stories include journeys we can all relate to as we seek how to live life led by love, joy, peace, patience, and other fruits of the spirit. Meet Anna, who struggles with how to show love to a cantankerous neighbor. Laura, who endures infertility. Nora, whose pride threatens to consume her life. 
and other women who walk in their faith each day. Do you think she meant to say join her ventriloquist and grand ventriloquist <laughs> dummy? I, I think that that's obviously what she meant there, yes. I would hope Maybe. so. I'm a little offended because, I mean, I live among the Amish and nobody ever interviewed me. Yeah, are mm-hmm. you, would you say that it is tranquil there? Would you use that? Um, I, you know, I would describe it as tranquil, actually. I, I very much like the atmosphere. Um, but if I could... I could do without religious oppression and animal abuse like that. Those yeah. would be two things I would get rid of if I could. So Wanda's, Wanda's limited Wikipedia page uh, includes the information that when she first expressed as a child wanting to be an author, her father called her a dreamer and laughed at her. <laughs> Women can't write. And really, the structure of her sentences indicate that she probably should have listened. She probably should have listened to her father because, I mean, what what grade level would you say these books are written at? Oh, like God. third? It's a solid at most, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I would say third or fourth. It's it's low. It's low. And there's a lot to get into that. Before we get into that, let's, let's just start. Uh, I wanted to emphasize Wanda is a one of the OG Amish romance authors. She is. And this is, I think, is this part of the first book, uh, A Merry Heart, which we're going to talk about, is this the first book of her first series? Um, it's the first book of the Brides of Lancaster County series. It is not the first book of her first series, though. So her first book was apparently published, according to Wikipedia, which is so accurate, in 1997. This looks like it was published in 2006. So she had already been an established author for about nine years at this point. Um, I bet she's living large off these books. Oh, she is. People read them all over the place out here. Oh, yeah. She's got big business going on. She can afford a lot of ventriloquist dummies. Yeah. I would love, (laughs) love to see Wanda's ventriloquism collection. I hope you have, like, an alert set on your computer so that if, you know, she's doing a show in the area, I will fly (gasps) from the West Coast for that. Yes. Oh, my God. God. We would love to have you. We're going to do that. Oh, yeah. We'd have to, like, live that and meet her and get shit signed. And Mm -hmm. Oh, do you think she'd sign my boobs? I was no. just going to say, I was just going to say, I don't think she would sign your boobs. No. It would have to be like above the collarbone, below the wrists, below the ankles. Oh, I, I'd settle for an ankle, I guess. <laughs> Disappointing, maybe your face. Maybe she would sign your I face. I know. Um, all right. So, Mary Hart, uh, first in a, the Brides of Lancaster County series, a three book series or more? Uh, four book, I believe. Four, four book series. Thank yes. God one of us did our research. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, would anyone care to – I'm in favor of stealing a trope from the Babysitter's Club Club uh, where we give a 60-second plot summary. Is anybody else? I am I am for it. Do you think – do you feel up to that task, Leanne? Uh, I personally don't because I read this book quite some fucking time ago. Yeah, um, likewise. Kristen, do you feel like <laughs> – You know <laughs> – I will do. I will do my best. All right. I think I can okay. do it. Okay. Wait. If someone's got to set a timer, so hang on a second. Let me grab a timer here. All right. You let me know when you're ready. Are you ready mentally? Are you ready for this? <laughs> you know, I think mentally. I just have to dive in. I think I just have to dive yeah, okay. in. Okay. All right. All right. Give All right. me a countdown. Ready? Three, two, one. Summarize. So we join our heroine Miriam Stolfus, who was cruelly jilted by her childhood love, and as such is suffering from hysteria. Her family wants her to marry Amos, the handsome widower from up the road, and mother his child. She does not want to do that because she has vague feminist notions about being more than a wife and mother. She's also a teacher and a very bad one. Over the course of the book, we find out that Amos Amos has actually been in love with her since childhood and that William stole his flowers 
to learn to earn Miriam's heart in the first place. This is supposed to make us like him. Eventually, mm -hmm. Miriam is overtaken by the spirit of Jesus and learns that she I'm really should take her place as. We're done. Ten seconds. We're that take her place as wife and mother. She she marries Amos, refuses to have sex with him, and then changes her mind with two pages left in the book. They are pregnant. The end. <laughs> wow. So Exactly. <laughs> wow. But okay, you you admitted two major plot points in the book. You admitted well, three meet actually. Well, Nick, help me yeah, out here. Like you, you missed Nick the reporter. You missed Nick the reporter from the, the newspaper. The Englishman is trying to fuck her. You also missed the fact that her dad died very suddenly. Like he was fine, he was fine, then holy shit, he's dead. And then you also missed that she um handicapped her own niece by sending her out to the carriage and let her get crushed by a tree branch and now she can't walk. That's true. In addition to being a terrible teacher, she is also a terrible, terrible aunt. She's just kind of a terrible person, honestly. As I read this book, I did not find myself drawn to her at all. No, there is there is nothing likable about her. No. Um, excellent summary, though, for six seconds, because there is, uh, again, a lot of shit going on in this book. Both relevant and completely fucking irrelevant <laughs> to everything. Oh, I also left out the fact that Miriam has a hospital fetish. Oh, she loves that. And every time she enters a hospital, she becomes uncontrollably aroused and has to go on a date. Well, it's a sexy <laughs> family tragedy just gets her hot, you know? I had noted some common tropes that we see in, like, many Amish novels that this novel embodied. So, for example, the first would be that the novels usually have this feminist rebellion while they deny, like, the protagonists deny having feminist values. Uh, whereas, like, the protagonist is in some kind of crisis, like, against her faith or, like, the ways of her community. But... Um, while she's, like, being rebellious and, like, an independent woman, everybody's putting her down for it constantly, and she herself is constantly telling the audience, like, basically, like, I I'm not a feminist. Like, I'm right. not one mm -hmm. of those women. I think it's also really interesting, too, that, like, I've noticed this as well, and it usually ends up overlapping also with, like, a, like a testing of rejection of the Amish faith and religion. So it's, like, they kind of go together, where it's, like, well, you can't both be a feminist but also somebody faithful or, or yeah. something like that. It's, like, I can't, like, I can do everything by myself, and as such, like, I'm not going to be Amish anymore. So they, they kind of package those two things together, um, mm -hmm. and... and like, as a result, you know, they, they associate feminism with something negative because that also means that they're leaving their family and leaving their faith, um, which I thought is not really surprising, but just interesting to note. It is. Yeah, I, I have a quote highlighted. It's, I don't know who's talking to Miriam, but he says, uh, I didn't know you Amish ladies could be so liberated. I figure you might like to have a man to look after you. And Miriam says, I'm not liberated, but I don't need looking after. Yeah, so that's just, hmm. You know, like, she just screams, I'm not, a, I'm not a feminist, but I am going to say, like, you know, I don't need you. I do know people like that in my life, too. It's like, I'm not a feminist, but, and then they proceed to say some, like, totally feminist shit. And it's, it's like, but why, why do you like that word? Like, let's unpack that. What's, what's wrong what's with wrong that with word, word that you really don't like? Though, to be fair, Wanda E. Brunstetter also wrote such sentences as, both of those I don't have. So she might just not understand double negatives. <laughs> She might not just understand the English language. Um, <laughs> she often, you know, when the father, when Miriam's father falls ill, there's this sentence I highlighted where Miriam's mother calls her and is uh, basically like, Miriam understands this call is an emergency. And uh, she's like, is someone sick or whatever? And her mom goes, well, no one's sick, but your father's in the hospital. That's... That's sick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't go to the hospital if you're well. 
Right. And it wasn't even an accident. Like, he wasn't crushed by a horse or something like that. He had a heart attack, which generally results from illness. You're quite sick. And you don't die in the hospital unless you are some form of sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the actual quote, and I. Uh, this is important because it also brings me to the next part, the next trope in Amish things, which is the t- terrible use of shoehorning in Amish language, uh, Pennsylvania <laughs> Dutch. Um, she says, the hospital is someone gronk, G-R-A-N-K, which is in italics, so you know it's a foreign word. Uh, and mom says, uh, no one's sick, Miriam, but I think Papa's in bad trouble. He seemed fine when we went to the house at noon, but later on, while we were working in the fields, he turned really pale, clutched his chest, and toppled over. So yes, so one, someone is sick. <laughs> someone is grunk. Well, with an eighth grade education, it's a little bit difficult, I guess, to tell what is sick and what is not. Yeah. It is. I particularly like the word grunk, though, because it sounds like something the youth have made up to mean drunk. Yeah, you're real That's grunk. That's true. I'm grunk. <laughs> Let's talk about language, and I think we focused on this a little bit in our last episode, but I still think it's worth mentioning every time, which is, again, the shoehorning of um, uh, Pennsylvania Dutch, but also assuming that their readers are unable to uh, infer language. So I think the first instance of this is fairly near the beginning of the book, and I think I should have marked this page, so let me see if I can find it. Here we go. Nick the Reporter who, by the way, is the villain of this piece. He's totally a villain. He's an atheist. He is trying to get in good with the Amish, so he buys some root beer. Oh, I have a lot written about this scene. (laughs) As he is waiting for his root beer, he witnesses an older Amish gentleman, I believe Miriam's mother, take a drink and say, It's Wonderbar. (laughs) In italics. And then Nick the reporter helpfully exposits, Wonderbar, that means wonderful, doesn't it? <laughs> Nick asked, butting in. That's right, the Amish man said. Are you from a Deutsch background? No, but I took a few years of German in high school, or I've listened to Rammstein. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, which is our uh, other idea for a segment, Kristen. Is it uh, words we've learned from Rammstein? Rom- uh, yes, I, I, am, I am keeping a tally. Um, Thank you. So uh, give me a couple episodes. I'm hoping like after a few books I'll have quite the list. I, I want you to know that I highlighted that same passage, but the note I wrote to myself was, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, basically the same thing, right? Same thing. Um, I want to talk about that root mirror scene, which is another fucking thing that um, is a trope in these Amish novels, which is a, a really weird fixation on Amish food and drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, so this root beer scene is they're at the Amish market. Um, this is the farmer's market in Bird in Hand, which is a real town name and is it hilarious. It very much is. Uh-huh. And um, somebody is selling homemade root beer at this. And this description of the root beer and what's happening with the root beer just goes on forever. So, for example, um, <laughs> Amos has brought his daughter uh, with him to the market to sell. And she says, would you like some root beer? My pappy makes it and it's real tasty. And he says, please excuse my daughter. She thinks it's solely her job to sell our root beer. And the note I wrote to myself is, yes, because you brought her to the root beer selling stand. <laughs> <laughs> and and everything she said was completely appropriate. It's not like she was like, buy some of my pappy's fucking root beer. Like, <laughs> she was very polite. Like, she's doing a good job. Like, shut up and let her sell it. Uh, she spoke to a man. Yeah, give, Don't give her some that. agency. And that poor little girl, too. I feel like all she does is, like, cry at school because the kids are fucking terrible to her. Oh, yeah, Amish kids are apparently assholes. Yeah, and the teacher does it, like, she she's just totally ineffective at, like, controlling it. It's like, control your classroom. Come on. She said the children tease her for having a dead mother. I yeah. Mean, 
Like, Where's what? the Christian charity? Well, and also, too, like, I mean, I'm fairly confident that, like, that would never happen. Like, it might, the, the thing is, it might happen in, like, you know, Christian schools, but, like, I couldn't ever see that happening in Amish. With the actual Amish? Yeah. Do the Amish believe that uh, in, like, um, like, retribution for sin, like, do they believe strongly that, like, you know, an untimely death might mean, be related to, you know, having earned it, having sinned? Um, I don't think so. Um, I don't really know the answer to that. I do know that they, they are much more willing to accept death as, like, a natural process um, and, like, being born and being alive, um, they are not, and I mean, like, you might argue that some of this is, is part of the fact that they don't have insurance, and so it could be financially motivated, but they are much more willing to, um, not undertake, like, futile medical measures to keep somebody Uh, alive. Ah, I see, I see. Well, that's, you know, consistent, I guess. Yeah, a little bit. Can they work on the farm? Then no, (laughs) pull it. No. Uh, I would like to return to the root beer briefly. Uh, much of this book constantly returns us to the root beer. Uh, mere lines later, we have a line, the bearded Amish man who stood beside her nodded, we were feeling kind of thirsty, so we decided to come on over and get some of your flavorsome homemade root beer, which made me wonder if they're running a root beer con game, whereby they (laughs) entice others using a a confederate. Maybe it's like Riverdale, where maple syrup is drugs, maybe root beer is drugs. Yes, yes. It could be. I know people that have been to some slamming, like, Amish barn parties for Rumspringa, like, bowls of coke, ecstasy pills. Yeah. Uh, Right after the root beer con game, Mary Ellen, the uh, the niece, says, "Why don't you go over and try some?" Pappy gave your folks a glass of root beer for free, and I'm sure he'd give you one too. So I feel like she's a real root beer pusher. Um, mm-hmm. And then only lines after that, it says, "Amos was busy pouring a glass of frothy root beer for a young English boy when Miriam showed up with Crystal and her twins." And here I wrote to myself, "Literally nothing happens in that entire section that I just read to you, except they detail the pouring of root beer." Yes. And it took an entire page. Yeah, I'm on an e-reader, so I don't know exactly how long a page is, but it's a significant scene of pouring root beer, handing root beer. Describing root beer. Pointing towards a jug of root beer. Uh, promising the kids for more root beer. Book. This book is over 300 pages long, and with all the action parts of it, you could really condense it to 50. Like, it doesn't... Really? It, yeah. 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 Because the, most of it is just describing stuff that is not pertinent at all to any plot. Not at all. No. Yeah, there's a whole scene I wrote where they, like, describe boiling tea, uh, boiling yep. water for tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a line I highlighted, it says, all this tasty food sure does wet the appetite. And then my note I wrote to myself is, why not wash it down with some root beer? <laughs> <laughs> they do. They have, like, stands. I don't know, Leanne, if, if you ever saw it. But, like, I mean, we have neighbors down the street that, like, have a very popular, like, roadside root beer stand in the summer. It's They're pushing it. They're really pushing mm-hmm. it. It's a little yeah. thick, but the price is right. That's what Marge Simpson says. <laughs> <laughs> well, in addition to prolonged scenes on food, they just also have a constant rehashing of a plot that you just read. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, there's a point in the novel where uh, Miriam is at the hospital for her uh, father, who we've established is not sick, but is there anyway. Um, <laughs> but is dying. And she meets Nick, the... Uh, you know, salacious news reporter who, God, there is so much to talk about there. He's just so um, sexy. And he says, uh, you know, he takes her to lunch and he's like, so tell me what happened. Why are you at the hospital again? And instead of a line, you know, all they have to say was like, Miriam recounted what happened. Mm-hmm. Miriam just says in strong detail that we all have to read over and over again while Nick takes notes on the story about the whole scene we just read about. We just read about it. And he even asks questions 
that make her reiterate what happened. So it makes me wonder, do they think the average reader has dementia? Are they counting on the target de- demographic to not be able to remember what they just read? Probably Is, both. Are they trying to reach mm-hmm. a page count? I feel like there, I, I did feel like at times the there were so many words that like, yeah, they were trying to reach a page count. Because honestly, if you did boil the whole plot down to its minimum and got a 50 page book, nobody would buy that on the shelf. You want to feel like you're buying something substantial. But honestly, it took me about, I don't know, maybe two hours to read this whole book because you just keep flipping. You're like, okay, I don't need to read that. I already knew that. Like, I just read the last 20 pages where I read that. Well, and God knows she wasn't going to take up any of that space with character development. No. Because there's none of that. No, not in any of them. No, every character has one personality trait and it is stagnant throughout the book. What's, What's Miriam's personality trait? Oh, so hers is the only one that does change, because hers is being a cranky-ass bitch. And then she's down to fuck at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that some more. Elaborate. Elaborate on Miriam's character arc. Well, early on in the book, we are introduced to Miriam's stress headaches. Oh, uh, Which yeah. also come with irritability and a myriad yes. of other symptoms that may sound as if they were read from a Wikipedia page on what people thought hysteria was in the yeah. early 1900s. My favorite part about that is she treats it with willow bark capsules, which don't do jack shit. Yes. I forgot that they mentioned it. I guess they they like the idea that the Amish would use, like, natural remedies. And they do. They come in with their essential oils. Like, I'm they, like Are they yeah. in a Young Living Pyramid scheme? They might be. But honestly, it just frustrates me to no end because it's like you come in with all these essential oils, but you can't put on deodorant. Like, that would be too much. But, like... That would be worldly. It, it would be too worldly. But, like, yeah, essential oils... That's okay. Miriam has hysteria. Mm-hmm. Mir- Miriam has hysteria. Um, and all of her family are aware that her all of her problems would be cured if she would get married. Yes. But what is the source of this hysteria? Uh, being an unmarried woman, as it has always been. That's and always been the source of hysteria. Always. She was jilted. Jilted by someone she knew when she was, like, 14. William Grabber. <laughs> William Grabber. Yeah. He didn't grab her. He grabbed someone else. Yeah, that was the problem. She she thought they were going to be together forever. And then he moved to Ohio to take some painting work with his uncle. Um, and then his letters got more and more infrequent. And then one day, a letter that she still kept, which blows my mind, he wrote to her that he is marrying a nice woman in Ohio and she should move on and do the same. And she was just devastated. Cold. Hasn't cold. been the same since. And it's been something like 10 years or something it's insane like at the opening of the book. Of time. Like, That's, it's not like, oh, it's been three weeks and I'm still working through some shit, which, like, everybody's been there. Yeah. No, it has been, like, at, I want to say at least five years. Yeah, no, it's been like, it's like that one friend that everybody has that's, like, still crying over their high school prom date when they're, like, oh, almost yeah. 30. Yep, we all know that person. Yep. Hey, 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 my high school prom date had a piercing directly through the head of his dick, so I think it's worth crying over. I would cry over that if I were yeah. you. <laughs> um, yeah, it, that's the thing I noticed. It's been so long. She's had the time to grow, be an adult, and, and start a teaching career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she just Is it really a career, up. though? You know, it's a placeholder. Until... Uh, well, and I mean, the teacher... I think it's important to note, only has the same sixth grade education as her pupils. Yes, I was actually, yes, I was discussing this with my husband um, this evening before we started recording this. He's like, wait, so the teacher is just like a 19-year-old girl that also has an eighth grade education. I was like, yes. He's like, but that's not an education. I'm like, I'm aware, I'm aware of that. 
Hey, Anna Green Gables did it just fine. Uh, she mean... actually had it. She went and got a two-year college teaching degree, actually, oh, if you sorry. recall. I'm sorry. That's some Little House on the Prairie shit is what that actually. is. That's what Laura Ingalls Wilder did. <laughs> I'm sorry. I stand corrected. Yeah. I stand corrected. <laughs> Don't come for my Anne. Yeah. <laughs> no one touched Anne. This isn't Anne. It's not about Anne. Yeah, she's a terrible fucking teacher. The kids hate her. They mock her but mm-hmm. mercilessly. And she cries. She's she's her she goes and cries about it. Oh, there's that poor again. There it is. Oh, <laughs> That's a great sound. So when I was in middle school, I had a uh, French teacher who was also the school Spanish teacher, and I don't actually know that she spoke French, but that's a separate story, um, who was a very emotionally fragile uh, Orthodox Jewish woman who had no control over the classroom and more than once spent an entire teaching period with her head on the desk crying. And that's all I could think of every time we were in Miriam's classroom. Oh, that's what Miriam does. Yeah, she's a real head on the desk. If they were allowed to shut the blinds and watch movies, she would have been that kind of teacher. Like, pull the TV and watch TV all day. Yeah, here's some Bill Nye the Science Guy. Yeah, but that would be too early. Yeah, you can't do that. She's got the Amish equivalent of that, which is just like, get the fuck out of my classroom. (laughs) Go play. Oh, no, at one point, I think she openly says that she's ignoring a student asking for help because she doesn't want to bother. They don't need to Really? I don't recall that, but that totally seems within Miriam's character. And her character arc ends in the way that um, the character arc of every female protagonist of all the novels I've read have ended, which is that she finds her place in the home she um marries the the suitor that she did not like who pursued her relentlessly who she whom she showed no interest in the entire book but sort of just gave up at the end and was like close enough uh and then becomes a wife and has to quit teaching but she's fine with that there's like a bible verse quoted about how that's great for her she loves being home and making lunch for little Mary Ellen, her, you know, now her stepdaughter. Who honestly uh, but, is the most likable yeah. character, I think. Mary Ellen yeah. seems well, so lovely. until she's paralyzed, because I would really get to talk about the ableism in this book. Well, no, okay, so Mary Ellen was not paralyzed. Her friend oh. Rebecca, who is Miriam's niece. Miriam's niece, yes. Oh, Rebe- oh, that's right, my bad. But yes, Sorry. The, the ableism is ridiculous. Yeah, the ableism is great. They said she's paralyzed, she's hit by a branch um, during a storm, and she's paralyzed for life. And they say things like, she'll only be living half a life, and I'm afraid you'll be living less of a life than my crippled granddaughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> half a life! Half mm-hmm. a life. Half a body, half a life. Cripple. And I also don't understand, because the, the mother of Rebecca, the crippled, well, crippled is how they describe her they, in the book. We the, all say cripple. This is what the, that's the new word we all use. Right. Yes. I, I mean, I just, it feels so dirty. So the... <laughs> The little paralyzed girl, she can't walk, and the mom is like, I just can't handle all this. But they don't go into, like, what about it she can't handle. Like, she's just in a, she's in a wheelchair. Like, is it really that much more difficult than when she, I, I don't. I is it that really... the wheels are made out of wood, and maybe they weren't crafted well, so they're, like, a little square? And they aren't allowed to install accessibility ramps, because that would be worldly. <laughs> that actually, you know what, that's probably... That's probably why it's so difficult. They have to carry poor Rebecca up the stairs all the time because God fucking forbid you put a ramp in the house. Yeah, they're not going to do that. Those houses aren't up to code anyway. Speaking of poor paralyzed Rebecca, can we talk about this bizarre subplot where Nick was publishing photos of her? 
creepy, right? Like, even if she wasn't Amish, you are publishing photos of a minor without her family's consent, without her consent, without the hospital's consent, uh-huh. in a fucking newspaper. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that, like, a grown-ass man walking into an eight-year-old girl's hospital room with a teddy bear and then, like, coercing her into letting him take pictures would raise some police For eyebrows. For a second time! For a second time! Because if you recall, like, he went and he took the one photo surreptitiously, and Miriam got all pissed at him and was like, please don't do that, which is, like, the one time in this book that I agreed with Miriam. I'm like, yeah, Nick is a creepy motherfucker. Uh, let's back up and explain who Nick is exactly. Okay. So Nick is belongs to i can't remember the name of the newspaper anybody got it like lancaster daily or something something, something like, like that. that something like that yeah like the local lancaster newspaper he's in the, he's living in the bustling big city of lancaster from which his aunt wants to rescue him this newspaper has the worst stories in the world his editor is constantly the stupid like a mud sale i'm gonna go write a story about a mud sale or a mud sales covered bridges um, oh yes the covered bridges tour Amish markets, and his editor is like, the people demand it. They'd love it. <laughs> what Please people? Who are no, these people? Don't. The you, people no, demand no, it. No, they don't demand it. And Nick will be in all of these places with his notepad. Nothing is off the record with Nick. There's nothing you can say that he won't write down and publish. He's a real yellow journalist. He compulsively, he says, uh, he's talking to Miriam. She's talking about, uh, I guess, refining Rebecca, you know, paralyzed on the ground with a branch. And he's uh, writing it down, and he's like, I've been listening, but the thing is, reporting the news is what I do. So, you know, he's just, he's never off the record. But this isn't news. Like, an Amish girl getting crushed by a branch, that's not news. Nick would disagree with you. That is a personal family tragedy. And you published... You published a picture of her and the whole story about her without anybody's consent. Like, how did that even clear any level of... Of supervision. Like, I just, I, I can't wrap my head around it. Mm-hmm. There's also a really great section where Nick, uh, uh, I, I'll just read this. Nick had learned that local people, both English and Amish, would turn out to support volunteer firefighters by buying crafts, food, horses, farm equipment, buggies, washing machines, plants, furniture, livestock, and various handmade items like quilts and wall hangings. It's such a Part- specific list. <laughs> Real long list there. Part of the sale would be held inside the building. Much of the proceedings would take place outside where the ground was churned into mud by the feet of hundreds of people Thus the name Mud Sale. Have you ever been to a mud sale? I've been to outdoor sales. Uh, you, but you've stuff. never been to specifically a mud sale. If the ground's not muddy, does it count? If it was like in a parking lot, does it count? Uh, no, yeah, no, that doesn't count. Uh, then I guess I have not, no. You what if it was just a, a failure sale. and the mud did not get turned up because no one came? Yeah. Well, the thing is that these are usually held in the springtime when everything is thawing and it's very rainy. So it is very uh, rare that you would have a mud sale without actual mud. Okay. So Good it to is, know. I mean, that's pretty, yeah. I appreciate that. Yes. And then, you know, he has to go report on that. Which is not newsworthy. Which is not newsworthy, but his editor would would strongly disagree with you. <laughs> this is it. This is his big fucking scoop. It's like the world's worst newspaper editor. <laughs> like... Well... I mean, literally, his editor is so upset that he published a story of an, you know, an uncapped Amish girl without permission, but you ha- are supposed to inspect proofs. Yeah, There's like, proofs. you had to okay this. Where were you? So Nick is this foiled to Miriam, where he clearly has some kind of crush on Miriam, um, and is kind of stalking her, and Miriam is vaguely attracted to him in ways can, she can't. Explain. Can we talk about that? Because he runs into her so frequently. He like, makes reasons. So, so frequently. It's like every time the poor woman steps off of her farm, she's running into his chest. 
Yes. And I just don't understand, like, what community you live in. Like, are there seriously 20 people in this community and so you see each other all the time? Like, I don't understand. Unless, like you said, he is literally stalking her. I don't know why they see each other so much. To be fair, at one point he thinks he sees her, but it's just another Amish woman, which, you know, he's racist. (laughs) (laughs) That is racist. I don't know if this is something that a segment we can make happen or not. I don't know if this will happen in future books. But um, if I had a, I would like to, if possible, create a segment where we pick the sexiest quote. What's the sexiest part of this whole book? Yeah. The sexiest part? Oh, I was not prepared. Hold on. Yeah, this, this, I, you know, maybe we need a catchy name for it. Like the, I don't know, masturbatory corner. You know, I'll work on it. Masturbatory um, corner. Ooh, yeah, like the like part it. of the book, you know, when you have like a kid, you know, there's like Judy Bloom books, like Summer Sisters, and you, you skip to the real sexy parts. Yeah. Yeah. This would be like the part of this book that you would, that would be the most sexy thing that you could skip to. Mm. Oh, well, I think what they're aiming for is that scene where uh, Nick comes up on Miriam by the stream and her That's hair the is one, down. Baby. That's oh, the one, baby. Oh, that picked. is a sexy part. That's the one I picked. I have it written down. You want me to read it? Yep. Yes, please, please. Okay. Well, he came up upon her on the stream when her, just for background, her cap is down. And then the quote that I wrote down was Miriam, or about Miriam. Just thinking about how the obstinate man had sneaked up on her with his camera and how he had taken a picture of her with her hair uncovered and hanging down her back made her feel almost giddy. That's it. That's the part. That's the part that gave me a boner. That gave Mm -hmm. you a lady boner? Yeah. Oh, no. Just a real one. Like, my penis is erect. She's even briefly tempted by that very bizarre marriage proposal. That happens towards the end of the book. It's just so, like, so out of the blue. Like, she's run into his chest, what, like, eight to ten times? And then all of a sudden (laughs) he's like, you know what? I could marry this bitch. Like, we have nothing in common. She basically has contempt for me every single time I see her. But, yeah, I think we should get married. Like, what is the matter with you? Like, she won't even put out for an Amish man. You think she's going to put out for you? Hey, she says in one that the way he looks at her makes her mouth feel dry and her palms sweaty. Knees weak, palms are sweaty. (laughs) She can't talk about what it does to her other places because she doesn't know what those are called. I wrote in that section, it says, it says her palms turn sweaty, maybe she just needs something to drink, and my note to herself is, uh, a tall glass of dat dick. (laughs) Yes. Well, I mean, and you taught, like, in the last, like, I don't know, maybe quarter of the book after she marries Amos, um, she talks constantly about how there's, um, just, like, a, an open spot in her soul that is just yearning, and, like, literally the only thing that can fill it is Amos's dick. I don't know why you're delaying the inevitable here, like. I mean, she didn't think at first she'd have to see Amos's dick. I know, I, I don't understand, so I really don't understand that part, the whole, like, I'll marry you, but we're gonna sleep in separate bedrooms, and I'll, like, take care of your daughter, but I'm basically gonna be your living housekeeper, like, I don't know any Amish man that would be okay with that. Like I don't really sister, know any man that would be okay with that, or woman. I don't either, but, like, specifically Amish men, like, I, there's a certain expectation. Yeah. Um, and, like, she is literally, like, oh, the one thing that you want, that you've been waiting for since you were, like, you know, 10 years old, and you realize when you touch your dick, it gets a little bit hard. That one thing that you want, you're not going to get. And Hamus is like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. We'll do it. Yeah, that's fine. Like, well, what? he does later, he tur- he turns around on her. He says it's fine. And then he's like, you know what? Actually, it's your fucking duty to do this. And he, he kind of makes her do that. So his thing is, like, he says he wants contact. Like, he's actually, at that point, only requesting basic physical contact, like a hug. 
Right, or like he brushed tears away from her face and she physically recoils from him. I'm like, how terrible would that be to go through life without like physical touch? He probably smells bad. To be well, they both I mean, but smell she does bad. too. They they she both smell too. bad. Look, trust me on this one. They both smell bad. <laughs> See, Adrian, do you want to tell us a little bit about the smelliness of the almond? I, I feel like people know, might not know. Tell us, Adrian. It's like a very. It, it's it really. I've been around a lot of Amish people, and that is the one commonality. And it's not just like, you know, sometimes you're standing next to your friend and you're like, oh, I don't, one of us didn't put deodorant on today. It's like that, but like, it's almost like you can taste it in your mouth. Like, you can, like, it's like a sensation in the air that you can feel. Like, that's how thick it is. And it's like you're confident that even if they bathed continuously for two straight days, it would still not come off of their body. Well, so it just occurred to me that they don't have access to electric washing machines, do they? No, so they have, it's, it's like, I think they even reference it in the book, like old school, like, like, like hand crank. You have to like spin and stuff like that. So those don't work. No, they don't. You're correct. Yes, I know. <laughs> so like, so I guess the stench is just like baked into the clothing. It is, and I feel, it's like, I feel so bad for, you know, the little Amish babies, because it's like, I look at them, and I'm like, you smell so good right now, but in, like, another two years, you'll never be able to wash that stench off of you, ever. While we're on the subject of, uh, like, real-life differences between the book Amish and the real Amish, I have some questions, Brandon, I understand that you maybe don't know all of them. May or may not be able to answer, but I will do um, my best. I made a little, I've... Five things that I think okay. may be inaccuracies in this book. Okay. Uh, right. One I know is an inaccuracy because we talked about love episode, which is in this book, the, their predilection for quoting full Bible verses to each other. Yes, yes. That does not happen in, in real Amish communities, at least to each other. I mean, they do read the Bible, obviously. They are a Christian-based faith. But they don't out loud quote the Bible to each other. They consider it prideful. Because um, they do it fucking constantly in this book. All the time. All the time. All the time. Constantly. Yeah, that's inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes me feel better. Second thing I have is, this might exist, I don't know, a courting buggy? Yes, it does exist. Oh, It does exist. A courting buggy is an open buggy that um, a man who might start courting a woman would take her out in, and it's called a courting buggy because there's no sides to it. So, like, there can't be any (gasps) funny business in it. The whole community can see. (sighs) So you're allowed to, like, go to places with your your courtship partner or whatever you would call them in the courting buggy because if you're going to touch her or touch him, everybody's going to see it and then you're going to be drummed out of the Amish. And to clarify, we're saying man and woman, but they're what, 15? Okay, girl and boy. <laughs> okay. Children. <laughs> just, just to clarify. Yeah, that was, that was an excellent clarification. I, I am a huge proponent of using um, girl and woman properly, so thank you. Yeah. As a former 15-year-old, I just want to attest that um, <laughs> people watching out in the open never stop me from getting finger banged. Well, not <laughs> once. <laughs> not once. Not once. Got down in the McDonald's play place when I was about 15. McDonald's play place. That is a good one. In the back of the journalism classroom and in the front of the history classroom during movie time. During movie time? What movie? Uh, who knows? I was getting finger banged. No fucking clue. <laughs> I think we talked about this last time, too, about uh, regional... At, um, regional accuracies in language Uh i had noted that they called a sub a hoagie and i'm from the neighboring county and uh it's usually philly does hoagies um and uh, where i'm from the neighboring county to lancaster we would say subs i feel like in lancaster county there is a a blend like i think hoagie and sub are both acceptable so um i don't know that that would necessarily be an inaccuracy that could be i was just getting picky on that this one i know is an inaccuracy because i'm from there blue stream water 
False. No streams are blue. What are no, the fucking Caribbean? Yes, you're, it's mostly brown. Yeah, brown, brown. Muddy, maybe a green, a maybe stone a gray, stone. gray at times. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna say I drove across the entire U.S. Uh, not very long ago, and I don't think I saw a blue stream anywhere. Nope. That would mm-hmm. be chlorine. That would be chlorinated water. The only time I've ever seen a blue stream in the wild was Arizona, which I know there is not an Amish community in Arizona. No. So, I really question Juana Brunstetter's claims of proximity to the to this part of the country. I do too. Maybe we should see if she would be interviewed by us. Is she still alive though? She, she is. Might not be. Al- is she really? She just put out a book. I just saw on her website. She, she just, just put out. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, the final accuracy I have uh, question I have. Do you think the Amish celebrate Valentine's Day? I, no. So actually, this is another thing I was discussing with my husband. I do not think so because I Valentine's Day is like a, a mostly a Catholic-based holiday because it's yeah. St. Valentine, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't have any confirmation for that, but my gut would tell me no. They would not celebrate Valentine's Day because Miriam's classroom has a Valentine's Day celebration exactly. um, in which Amos Hilty sends her a Valentine through his daughter Mary Ellen. Um, which is odd, like a big plot point because that's kind of part of what convinces her like maybe I should marry Amos. Um, but no, I do not think that the Amish celebrate Valentine's Day. Mm, yeah, it seemed very wrong. It seemed like a serious oversight. And I don't understand as the author when you're writing this, why aren't you catching this? All you do is write about this shit, Wanda Brunstetter. Like you should know. You you claim proximity. Like you said, you claim proximity yeah. to the Amish. She takes every opportunity to visit friends in Amish settlements throughout the states. It's clear here on the back of this book. I feel like this is like if I wrote a, a book about living in Harlem and I would write like a, 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 like about Kwanzaa as though we all celebrated here. <laughs> yeah, that's like what people think might happen. But it's like <laughs> when you really think about it, you're like, wait, no, 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 no. That doesn't make any sense. Well, and I think what it really comes down to is that she knows that the Amish are not going to call her out. Right, because the Amish yes. don't read these books. Exactly. For them. So she can say what she wants. And nobody's going to correct her except for us. I will, I'm coming after you. We are coming yeah. for you, Wanda. I'm, I'm coming for you, Wanda. I will find you. <laughs> Wanda. That's a great title, episode title. I'm coming for you, Wanda. I'm coming for you, Wanda. That's, yeah. Make a note of that. Yeah. I'm coming for you, Wanda. Um, another okay. thing I need to bring up in regard to Amos and poor sweet little Mary Ellen is the constant insistence of this book on men's inability to participate <laughs> in child rearing in any way. I am so glad you bring this up because it just infuriates me when they talk about how he can't do her hair. And I'm like, are you to tell me that hands of a man are incapable of doing little girl hair? Like, they're just incapable. They do not have that inherent ability. Like, you can't tell me that. You can't tell me that. To be fair, it's very difficult to deal with limp, greasy hair. It is true. You don't wash it a lot. But, like, the women do it. So, like, are you as a man incapable just because you have an XY instead of an XX? Like, I just, I refuse to accept that. Well, and my favorite thing about it is that they illustrate repeatedly Mary Ellen having actually perfectly adequate care taken of her. And then there will be some very minor, inconsequential detail that, like, is supposed to make us feel so bad for her, and, like, she's this horribly yeah. neglected little waif. Well, my favorite, one of my favorite parts of this was when they were talking about um, the lunch that Amos packed for Mary Ellen, where it was, like, an apple, beef jerky, a biscuit, and water, and I was like, that's better than I eat sometimes. I like, that, I don't right? understand what's wrong with that. Like, that seems fine. And also, she packed that lunch for herself. Right. Like, the, she, Amos is doing a good job, because Mary Ellen's, what, like, eight? She needed root beer. Seven, maybe even younger. Like, I don't, when I was seven, I would not have been 
responsible enough to pack a protein, a carbohydrate, and a fruit in my lunch. No, that's pretty solid. I had to pack fruit. I had to pack my own lunch pretty early, and I routinely packed myself uh, two fruit by the uh, fruit yeah. by the foots. Yep. Uh, a juice box, and yeah. then I just relied on mooching off everybody else's lunch from there mm-hmm. on out. Found that was really unsatisfying. Got a barter. But see, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, I mean, Amos is, he's doing the single parent thing, and I, I don't think he's doing a terrible job at it, especially in a culture that expects men to, like, basically inseminate their wives and then not pay attention to their kids until they're, you know, able to work on the farm 10 years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's, let's read this passage by the lunch, because I think we all noted it, so that feels significant to me. Uh, the morning went by quickly. Soon it was lunchtime. Miriam watched as Mary Ellen opened her metal lunchbox. The child ate hungrily, but Miriam was appalled to see what Amos had given his daughter to eat. The contents of the lunchbox revealed a biscuit, dried beef jerky, a green apple, and a bottle of water. Yeah, that's perfectly cromulent. She liked it. Nothing wrong. She yeah, really it. I mean, like, yeah, I, I just, I really don't understand what is the matter with that. Uh, this is another note I wrote. Miriam shook her head and sighed, wishing she hadn't already eaten her own lunch, for she would have shared some of her sandwich with Mary Ellen. That man really does need a wife, and Mary Ellen surely needs a mother, is what she thinks to herself. And what I wrote was, he needs to learn to pack a fucking lunch. I don't know why this is your It's really not that hard. Like, I don't, I I don't know about you guys. I mean, Leanne, you said that you had to pack your own lunch early on. My father was the one that did most of the cooking in our house and packed all of our lunches. Like, I don't, my mom didn't even, my mom didn't even go to the grocery store. Like, I, I, I refuse to believe that men are incapable of this, just like, there's like an inherent genetic thing that makes them not able to do this. I have a two-year-old and a stay-at-home husband, and I have not come home to either of them dead yet, so... So, yeah. I, I, I think that the agreement among all of us here is that men can be, be capable of these things. Not Amish men. Not, not Amish men. Well, no, you're right, not Amish men. In fact, I make it um, a routine thing when I'm at work. If I have, you know, an Amish couple and they have an Amish, like a, a child, I always make the dads change the diapers because I know they're not going to do it once they get home. Mm-hmm. And I just want to see them mm. do it. And it's hilarious. They can't do it. Good they, for like, you. They can't. Good for fucking you, by the way. Yeah. I tell them, like, we don't discharge anybody unless the dad changes the diaper. But, and even her complaints about their home. Like, she at one point says, like, exactly, it wasn't unclean. Just slightly unkempt. Just unkempt. Like, bitch, come unkempt. to my house, because that would be the most generous thing that you could say about it most days, and I think right. that that's fine. Right. The bedroom that I am sitting in right now, like, it could use a good two trash bags and stuff taken out of it. Uh, I uh, shat in the corner of my room. <laughs> <laughs> and covered it with a pair of socks. I just feel like if you're trying to make us feel bad for this man, like, yeah, like, throw some, like, unpicked up cat shit in there, or, like... Yeah. <laughs> He's a single father. He's a business owner. Like, he needs another... Like, it's hard for... He's raising a daughter. Do this. Like, give him some help, man. Give him some credit. Like, he's... Ugh. He doesn't know what to do with her hair. Fucking Wanda, man. Like, I Fucking just, Wanda. Ugh. Wanda. Um, is there, like, a conspiracy theory we can find in here? Like, maybe um, all the children in the Amish community are actually ventriloquist dummies or something <laughs> like that? Oh, my God. I think we're going to have to read more books to determine, but maybe... But I, I'm keeping the ventriloquist dummies in mind, because that's... Think about it more. Yeah, the, I mean... the, the next book, which I think segues nicely into into the next book that we're going to read, which I believe is Rebecca, the uh, paralyzed niece's story. Much like the a purple. ventriloquist dummy, yeah, which cannot purple. walk. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, much like a ventriloquist dummy. You're right. Well, and Mary Ellen oh, exists solely God. to plead her father's case to Miriam, so she's basically his ventriloquist dummy. 
That is oh, true. Man. I don't think they ever would have gotten together if it weren't for uh, Mary Ellen's guilt tripping constantly. No, all she does is constantly compliment Miriam, yeah. tell her she's pretty. Like, that's not a normal thing people say to their teacher. No, it's not. It's not. You know what? Mary Ellen, little buddy lesbian, maybe. Maybe we've got some. Well, so uh, there were actually a couple, and I, I don't have them marked down, but there were a couple spaces or spots in this book where I was like, I think when um, Miriam was talking to her best friend Crystal about marrying Amos, like there were a couple spots where I was like, is this going to turn into like a lesbian? And then I remembered it was Wanda writing, and I was like, no, no, no. We couldn't ever. Would the Amish name their children Crystal? So, yeah, actually, you would be surprised. Um, there are, I've met Amish Crystals. Barbie is a big name in the Amish oh, community. Well, that's Barbie. short for Barbara, so I can see that. I guess. No, like they'll just straight up name them Barbie. Oh, I assume yeah. they were obligated to biblical names only. No, no, they they aren't. And actually, this isn't so much um, something that happens in the Amish community, but like in the Mennonite circles and conservative Mennonite circles, a lot of them will do um charity work and um evangelism work in inner cities and so they'll use like um traditionally black names for babies interesting oh, um, wow. I've, ta- I've taken care of a, a mennonite javon wow. um, yeah so that's always struck me as very interesting because yeah. um you know a lot of times you'll go in and you'll hear like you know the name of the baby and you'll kind of um, have a preconceived notion of like maybe what the racer family will be like sure. but that's completely flipped on its head in Amish country because it could be you know an African American family or it could be like conservative Mennonite what a plot twist it, it really yeah. is Oh, well, I did. we did mention Miriam's hospital fetish I feel like maybe we should explain that a little better so all of the dates that Miriam goes on with Nick happen at the hospital the first yeah. time it's inadvertent she runs into him after her dad's heart attack um, and then he takes her out for coffee because she's very upset. And then they spend a couple hours driving around and hanging out while she kind of offhandedly mentions that her family probably is looking for her. Because, again, they don't have phones, so it's not like she can tell them where she went. And doesn't her father pass away, like, while she's not there? Yep, while she's out in the hot reporter's car getting it on. Oh, Selfish my God. Bitch. And by getting it on, we mean, like, making Not at all getting it on, with, yeah. yeah. <laughs> making she's eye contact. thinking about her cat being off. The next one is... After she has gotten her niece paralyzed, while her niece is still, like, in surgery, um, she freaks out, actually calls Nick up, and has him come and get her. Oh, my yeah. God. She is that woman. Yeah. So, yeah. her response to family tragedy is to go get some. Yeah, and she also even says, I wrote a note to myself, I wrote, like, in all caps, like, Jesus Christ, this isn't about you right now, Miriam. Mm-hmm. It's when her dad's in surgery, and someone's like, oh, we have to pray for your dad. And she, and then it goes, Miriam's thoughts drew inward. How many times had she prayed over the last couple of years? How many of her prayers had God answered? Had he kept William from falling in love with someone else? It's not about you, bitch. No, Miriam is a garbage person. She garbage is such person. a garbage person. I just, I am not a fan of her at all. I think my favorite characters in this book go, number one, Mary Ellen. I really like Mary Ellen. And then, like, number two, like, I... I I can I can get down with Amos. I don't think he's a terrible person. He could um, definitely be worse, all things considered. Especially for an Amish man. Like, at least he's willing to be like, all right, fine, I won't touch you. Or I can definitely say that that would probably not be the norm for most of them. So, um, I feel like Amos is a nice guy. I think so, too, yeah. yeah. Like, he, he's no, but, definitely like, been friend-zoned by Miriam. Yeah, friend-zoned, yeah. yeah. He thinks he's a nice guy. He doesn't get it. He's Nice like, guy, oh. TM. Totally. Yeah, nice guy TM. Yeah, and then the rest of them, I don't know, like, I hate Mario's mom, who's just like, you have to get married, I'm praying for you, you have to get married, I'm praying for you. I'm like, oh, fuck off, Anna. 
yeah, Marianne's mom sucks. I agree. Any other uh, closing thoughts on this on this episode? I don't think so. I think we've covered most of the things that that um that I was thinking when I read this book. Do we have any like I don't know how we should close. We should probably eventually have some way we close episodes. Maybe like a quote. I think maybe in the future we should each pick our favorite passage of the book. Like hands down favorite passage. Does anyone have one that they want to do for now? Oh, 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 here we go. Do it. To close. With God's help, I want to love you as a wife should love her husband. That means God. she wants it. She wants Amos' so steamy. dick. Yeah, she wants it. Oh. Tall glass of root beer and that dick. Yep. And I'm not really sure what she thinks sex entails, that you need God's assistance. <laughs> she should know. She grew up on a farm. Like, you've seen animals doing it. The holes are in different places. Slightly, slightly different. If you flip, if you flip her over, it's not that different. <laughs> I'm gonna because a page later, they took time to read the Bible and pray together, which Miriam knew was the main reason they were drawing close to one another and to God. No, Miriam, that's the sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's filling that hole inside of you, literally. Can I just bring up though that this is a very common thing in evangelical Christian circles of like the people that wait until they get married to have sex. I know that a lot of them will read the Bible like before having sex. Like that's like that's, in like, Handmaid's Tale. Maybe a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's their form of foreplay. Is it at least like the sexy bits? Yeah, like saga song. It's not even the sexy bits. It's like, well, I don't know. I guess I don't really consider any of the bible sexy so uh yeah i would not be a good person to ask it's like it's like a tough thing to jerk off to if you really try if you really try wow well that's upsetting to know thanks for telling me about that yeah that's a great thing to go to sleep on tonight yeah i'm about that all right do we want to say what our next book is going to be so that everybody can read along if they would like it's going oh shoot i don't have the book in front of me what is it a merry heart to electric boogaloo (laughs) (laughs) rebecca's revenge (laughs) Rebecca's revenge she walks she's a zombie our next book will be looking for a miracle oh my god if this book ends with Rebecca being able to walk I am gonna be so angry (laughs) I hope it's like the uh the onion uh picture that's like God answers little paralyzed boys prayers no says God no God is such a dick sometimes. All right, short synopsis of the next book. Rebecca Stoltzfus, confined to a wheelchair, longs for a miracle, a way to be self-supporting. When Daniel Beachy spends time with Rebecca, she believes he feels sorry for her and is interested in obtaining her new business. Will Rebecca ever find the miracle she is looking for? Yeah, I I think that there's a good chance she walks at the end of this, and I'm going to be so pissed if she does. Wow, this is going to be great. I'm excited for this one. I am. I'm very excited. All right, good night and good luck. Good night. Good. Good night. That means good night.